right, Aaron, uh, before Shelby joins us, you want to do a quick sound test? You got wavelengths? Yeah. Uh, test, test, test. Okay, yeah, I'm good. Wait, what the hell is that noise? Is that your mic? Wait, what do you mean? It sounds like a banging noise. It's like rhythmic? What is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's that's just the ghost. What? The ghost. Welcome to another episode <laughs> of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by movie monster boy Aaron and me, the cowardly co-host Derek, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies like me and horror junkies like Aaron alike. Yay. This week, we got a special episode. Joining us is Shelby Scott, the host of Scare You to Sleep, a great storytelling spooky podcast each week she reads spooky stories adds all kinds of sound effects and audio cues to make it very atmospheric shelby i believe that you started this off with your own stories and you still read your own stories from time to time but you've since expanded it to having people submit their own stories and stories off reddit and even doing like guided nightmares which is like a play on guided meditation which is awesome but yeah welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me yeah i do guided nightmares which is like guided meditations but nightmares so yeah you got that exactly right and yeah I started out with my own stories I started out not really meaning to make a podcast be my career but (laughs) I mean if it works yeah one of my stories was featured on no sleep which everyone knows what the no sleep podcast is they're huge it's awesome And um, from there, I had a few other stories that I was like, this would be a good medium. Well, I still want to be a writer. And so I was like, I could just kind of showcase my stories like this. And I just kind of read them out. Didn't do very well. The first few episodes, if you go listen, are rough. So please don't start from there. (laughs) But um, yeah, they're very rough. And then from there, it just kind of grew. And then I started asking for submissions because people started listening out of nowhere for me anyway out of nowhere and it's just grown into yeah no, this is what I do for a living so that's pretty cool hell yeah living my life in horror it's awesome because like fairly recently you were Spotify exclusive and yes. then you are now back on pretty much all the major podcast mm-hmm. platforms I had been kind of following you a little bit when you're just on Spotify um, and now that you're back on all the platforms so it is easier to keep up with now but listeners I, I don't mean this lightly her show has literally scared me which audio it doesn't always do that for me in the same way that like movies or games do but like for instance and uh, I won't blow too much smoke but like I really (laughs) do enjoy your show (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it was either on your kids Halloween special from this past year or your teen spirit Mm -hmm. special which was submitted by young people Mm -hmm. and I was watching my daughter and it was like a rainy afternoon and I was just kind of doing stuff around the house it was a story that you were reading about a little girl and having a doll and her older sister being like why does she have this awful doll and then the doll starts talking to her and then it ends with the doll murdering spoiler the doll murdering her and one of her friends which it it was very like you know this would have been a story I would have written when I was 12 or 13 but the way you presented it made it sound like a legitimately like horrifying story which it was no no, like good I enjoyed that one yeah take no offense from the kid but like you just presented it so well so my daughter has started doing this screeching I guess it's like the first step towards learning to talk (laughs) so she'll just screech out of nowhere for no reason not even because she's upset just because she likes making noises (laughs) and like right at the height of the murders by this haunted doll she screeches and (gasps) i about shit myself (laughs) like it was oh my god yeah those kids episodes are fun i do them once a year i do kid a kid episode and a teen episode where all of them are written by kids and teens and i try to present them as 
earnestly as I possibly can. Like I give them the full cinematic treatment of this story has all the sound effects and everything. And it's so funny how when you do that, despite them being written, like one of them I had this year was by like a four year old. Some of them turn out (laughs) legitimately so scary when you add in everything and present them like that. And you don't really read them like a kid voice. It's so funny. And I like some of them, I tell the parents and I'm like, you have another, a next, like a new Stephen King on your hands. You need to keep nurturing this creepiness in your child, please. Yeah, it's fun too. And what I enjoy about it is like with young kids, there is not that logic train. There is not that thought process that goes into the stories. There's not the like, I have to rationalize what I'm experiencing. It's just a lot of stream of consciousness from kids. And it's just the weirdest connections and the weirdest, these things don't typically go together, but in that context altogether, it's somehow really unnerving, you know, like kids do say like the creepiest shit. And yeah, I I enjoy those episodes a lot. Thank you. And it's like the psychology of kids too, you know, especially in the younger kids episodes, their world is mom and dad stuff happening to their mom and dad. That's what happens a lot is like mom and dad go away for some reason or mom and dad get eaten by monsters or something. And I'm like, (laughs) it's so interesting because to them, that's like the scariest thing in their world would be something happens to mom and dad. They are my world, you know? And so I always find that so interesting to see the little links between all the stories too. And what works even more for me, and I I can't speak for other parents, but like being a new dad myself, it elevates that type of horror for me too, because then it's like, well, all the bad shit's happening to the parent. So like I picture that happening to me and then like, (laughs) There's that extra layer of like, am I going to abandon my daughter because like some horrible monster murders me and like she has to grow up without me and she has to see this really tragic thing. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we'll return to that fear later on in the episode, given the movie we're covering the movie. Yes, definitely. But like, yeah, that extra layer of horror is now always there with parental horror, be it like harming the child or harming to the parent. But like the child has to suffer anyway through that. But like the episodes kind of remind me of I don't know if you guys saw this, but like a while back on I think it was on Reddit, they like asked parents to give two sentence horror stories oh, from their yeah. children and it's just like my daughter keeps talking to her imaginary friend in the corner when I asked her what he looks like she said oh he doesn't have a face it's kind of stuff <laughs> like that and it's like that was a real story from like a four or five year old yeah kids are terrifying Excellent. But uh, you also, uh, one of the other ones I checked out more recently, I haven't caught up to your last two or three, but there was one about black eyed children and it was an older sister like looking for their sibling. Yeah, Yeah. you wrote that one. That one was Mm -hmm. a good one too. Thank you. Um, So I like how you also incorporate kind of popular cryptid or urban legend kind of style stuff. I've always been super into black eyed kids. Yeah. And so I was like, I have yeah. to write a story about it. And I had like a piece of a story and I didn't really know what the big bad was going to be. And then I was like, oh, black eyed kids and Halloween, like that goes hand in hand. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that one either dropped right before or right after you ended Spotify exclusive. Yeah, it was like right before. Mm-hmm. But yes, please, listeners, check out Scare You to Sleep by Shelby Scott. Thank it you. is creepy and good. It may as well be a recommendation for this episode. And with that kind of bringing up recommendations, we will get to that part now where we recommend other horror that's different from the movie we're covering today, be it movies, TV shows, video games, books, etc. Uh, we recommend it to each other. Hopefully your audience hears something that you want to check out. Shelby, we always go with the guest first. Have you been getting into anything scary lately? 
I actually wrote them down so I would remember. I have two books that I've read recently. First of all, they were disgusting. They're very much body horror. (laughs) So if you're not into disgusting body horror, these are two of the most disgusting books I've ever read. And like, I don't say that lightly. The first one was Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke by Eric LaRocca. It's basically told within like, I forgot what year exactly. It's like late 90s, early 2000s, like an internet forum. These two people met on, like we all remember internet forums and everything on the internet used to be anonymous it was not about getting as many followers as you could it was about staying as secret as you could and not having your picture and so these two women meet in this forum and kind of fall in love and from there i don't want to spoil anything it's a very short book that's the thing it's like hard to not spoil because it's such a short book so if you're looking for a quick read to just make you kind of want to barf i definitely recommend it oh yeah i'm saving this one because i'm already interested yeah it's basically power plays come into and the idea of strangers on the internet and And the old idea that strangers on the internet can like influence you and tell you what to do. And for any of us, I think we're all around the same age where we grew up around that time where those internet forums, you know, and especially being like young and going into those internet forums and pretending you were 25 and everything. Which we all did. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. and everything. Yeah, yeah. There's no child stuff. This is all two women of age. But I was just talking about my experience in those forums. That's how old I was. But yeah, and it gets to basically one woman just tries to see how far she can push this other woman because this other woman loves her and because she realizes there's this power at play and it's disgusting the other one is called dead inside by chandler morrison okay another one that is i think it's more disgusting than it's definitely more disgusting and more shocking than the last one i just mentioned it's and i mean this earnestly this is not like a clickbaity thing i'm about to say this is all the trigger warnings. If you have a single trigger warning about anything, including babies and children, do not read it. And I know that's the whole thing people say to get you to read it. That's why I read it because someone on TikTok was like, just <laughs> don't read it. Like, I, this is my review. Don't read it. It's bad. Like, it's gross. It'll make your day bad. And I was like, sign me up. Here we go. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's real bad. It's real, real bad. The <laughs> writing isn't bad. It's just that the content is horrific. I will say there are some plot holes. The plot isn't my favorite. But yeah, if you're looking to be shocked and odd, and if you're kind of feeling like you're in a... The reason I read both of these actually recently is because I was feeling like kind of in a horror rut of nothing shocks me anymore. And nothing sure. grosses me out. And nothing has scared me in a while. And so I was like, I'm going to just read these two books that people have said not to read because they're gross and I was like okay it knocked me into another like okay yeah I can still be grossed out I can still want to vomit a little bit so (laughs) I'm still human (laughs) and that's kind of thrilling though like despite being the coward I ran into that with video games yeah for some weird reason as much as horror movies scare me but I still love the horror genre video games don't scare me for some reason I I have the opposite where movies don't scare me and video games it's weird shit out of me yeah I think it's some weird control issue where like a movie I can't control but a video game I have some deal of control over but that makes total sense but like I hit that rut until I played and this was a few years ago and Aaron knows this until I played like Alien Isolation and not that Alien Isolation is a particularly gross game I mean it can be but it's anxiety inducing yes it was what I was chasing and like Mm -hmm. despite being scared out of my mind from that game and even having to like walk away from it for like a second (laughs) at one point I was like this is what I've been chasing and it kind of like revitalized my love of horror video games Mm. and everything and like okay they can scare me so yeah I get that yeah you might like Visage that's a game that I just recently delved into 
too. And that's it's on my list. Alien isolation vibe. Is it? Okay, good. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. On my list. Yeah, yeah. Right now. Well, I'll get into when, when I get to my recommendation. But did you have any other recommendations besides those books? No, I just brought a couple books. Sounds good. Aaron, <laughs> what have you got this week? Cool. So going back to our episode with Kelly, where we discussed waxwork, uh, we briefly talked about Anthony Hickox's other movies and mentioned Warlock Armageddon. So I dug into <laughs> Did that. Did you really? I've only <laughs> seen the first Warlock movie. Um, excuse me, sir. It's called Warlock the Armageddon, not Warlock oh Armageddon. Mm, okay, correct. <laughs> but yeah, I saw the first one when I was growing up because it was definitely a like USA up all night kind of movie. It was definitely a sci-fi <laughs> channel movie, right? That's one that I definitely remember watching when I was young. It's 1989, directed by Steve Miner, stars Julian Sands as the warlock, and Richard E. Grant is the witch hunter guy really? who's tracking him down. Oh my and God. this is not smooth, erudite, suave Richard yeah. E. Grant with that menace. This is Richard E. Grant with crazy hair wearing furs and he has a fucking whip and it's just him trying to track down this evil warlock who they have history right yeah right at the beginning the whole deal is the warlock casts a spell that zaps them 300 years in the future to fucking los angeles fantastic so it's just julian sands continuing to be a dark magic asshole that's amazing and richard e grant in full thor austin powers fish out of water just what is this thing you call a burrito the entire fucking movie is just i don't understand this metal carriage you ride in but <laughs> it's got some rad ideas there's some pretty cool like okay that's some like weird dark magic shit i've never seen before yeah the movie kind of goes exactly where you expect for the most part richard e grant bumps into this young woman who's she's already crossed paths with the warlock who put a curse on her so she's trying to like figure that out it's fun it's definitely fun i will say a thousand percent this movie is one that is absolutely ripe for a remake Ooh. i'm sure it's been talked about many many times like rebooting this series mm -hmm. somehow or another this is one that i would love to see a remake of because i think the nugget the idea the premise can be so much more mm -hmm. than what this original movie really does ultimately and i'm sure it was you know partly budgetary partly special effects reasons but i would like to see a remake of warlock i certainly think that this would make a killer modernized kind of updated version of the idea mm -hmm. and then yeah i went on to watch warlock the armageddon <laughs> from 1993 directed by anthony hickox who did wax work that we discussed on a previous episode and you remember the scene that kelly was telling us about that like fucked him up when he was a kid yeah where the woman suddenly becomes pregnant gives birth to like this nasty slug creature that then like melts and turns into grown ass man Julian Sands covered in goop oh balls God. out and he's just like mommy don't you want to hug your son then he like <laughs> digs his fingers into the side of her scalp and her face to like read her mind and then her skin on her stomach bubbles and burns up and he rips it 
off and it's a map. Okay. Nice. And, and that's the scene that Kelly told us about that like yeah, I remember. fucked him up when he was a kid. So just a usual birth. Oh, totally, know. totally. Yeah, just yeah. the usual birth for like an evil warlock man. So yeah, that scene was just as, what the fuck am I watching right now as you <laughs> described it? I can't say as much exciting for the rest of the movie because it does get kind of corny with these three old dudes who are ancient druid descendants who are protectors of the earth realm who have to stop him and there's all these crystal amulets there's that they have to crystal get together amulets. to stop him. There's just always totally, gotta totally. have them. Is this an RPG? What I the know. fuck movie is this? <laughs> I feel like I need to roll now to find out what happens next. Uh, the second one is very, very RPG centric. <laughs> the first movie has the element of, the, well, there's the anti-Bible that has all these, you know, dark magic grimoire things and if he gets the entire book together, it will reveal the true name of God and if you speak it backwards, it like undoes existence like that's such a fucking awesome premise awesome. yeah yeah and that the rules. second movie is just one of the old guys from the thing is the sheriff in this town and but also he's a druid okay cool is it worth it just for that scene though the, the birth, birth scene because that, mean, sure, that yeah. if you want to like just pull that one yeah. scene up i'm sure you can find it did they like blow their entire load on that scene because it sounds like <laughs> no it. there's there's other special effects throughout the entire thing but okay that's like the most insane and it happens like right at the beginning of the movie uh, I remember somebody mentioning, maybe on a past episode or off air, that sudden pregnancies like that is really disturbing to them. So I feel like that would be like a pretty effective scare in a way, unless the effects were so fucking goofy that... No, no, no. The effects are pretty good, but it like jumps from that to just the general fear of, oh, not only am I like suddenly pregnant, but it's not even a baby. It's like a weird slug creature thing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And then just the fear of there is a random stranger in my house who's now stalking me and he's covered in like goop bile and he's like I said dick and balls out naked there's a lot going on in that like two minutes of screen time that the rest <laughs> of the movie doesn't really live up to I have not watched the third movie yet but I know it has damn it I can't think of the actress right now Lawrence uh Jennifer Lawrence no not Jennifer Lawrence Ashley Ashley, Ashley Lawrence, Lawrence from Hellraiser yeah. yeah yeah Ashley Lawrence from Hellraiser oh yeah that makes that makes way more sense than Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence when she was four years yeah, old. Yeah, I was like, she would have been little, but, you know, Oscar-worthy. Yeah. Have not watched that third one yet, but I will probably get around to that soon. All three of them are on Tubi. You can literally yeah. watch them for free right Tubi's now. Oh, yeah. And then the last thing I'll mention, uh, so I am quickly closing the gap on all of the big masters of horror guys in terms of finishing every single fucking thing that they've done. So, Carpenter... I have one left. I have the fucking ward, and I'm like just rolling my eyes, dreading having to watch the ward. <laughs> but Blank Check just got their show out for that, so I want to go ahead and watch it and knock it out. And with Toby Hooper, I'm down to like three that I haven't actually been able to track down and see. And I watched I'm Dangerous Tonight, which is a TV movie oh, that's he a did great in 1991. <laughs> it stars Madchen Amick, and this is right at Twin Peaks, Madchen Amick. Oh, hell yeah. Anthony Perkins. Oh, wow. Arlie Ermey. Oh, God. D. Wallace, <laughs> right? Wow. So it's like this wild cast. <laughs> D. Wallace surprisingly is not playing a mom, and she's pretty good in it. Anthony Perkins is his usual kind of creepy weirdo yeah. self, and Arlie Ermey is, you know, he's playing a cop, so big surprise. But the entire movie is about a, like, cursed Aztec cloak that was used in, like, sacrifice rituals that this 
professor at a university, like, you know, he buys the stone table that people were murdered on, mm-hmm. and it's the cloak is hidden away in the secret compartment. And Maginamic gets her hands on it and turns it into, like, a hot, sexy 90s dress. Oh, my God, And, no. of course, while she's wearing no. the dress, Amazing. it makes her super sexy, and she's, like, wooing all the guys around her, but then also, like, going crazy and, you know, murdering. It's, like, demonic love potion number nine. Totally. So yeah. Totally. So the dress kind of changes hands over the course of the movie to different people. It's all about her having to convince people, like, no, the dress is making them go crazy. It's ridiculous but I, f- I finally finally tracked that one down and watched it and i i missed the day and i guess i was about to say i missed the day when we had tv movies that were like legit tv oh, movies yeah. they were actually mm-hmm. directed by real directors and had actual stars in them and as i'm saying that i'm literally thinking in my head well no it's just changed to streaming we have that we still do, yeah. it's I just guess, streaming yeah, movies right. right yeah but it's not quite the same thing it's not the f- same feeling yeah well it's not the same feeling because and i mean we're all relatively young right mm-hmm. but we're not old right <laughs> yeah we're not the like we're in between day, there were yeah. three channels and you watched one of those three or you fucked off we had cable right yeah. we grew up in the cable era we were the cable but generation. there was still event tv that everybody talked about yes i miss event tv i miss yeah. the tv guide being like this is who's on the cover because they have a tv movie coming out this week and you better yeah. watch it on abc at 7 p.m 6 p.m central or whatever they would say and yeah. you better be there be square because we're not gonna play it again and yeah, totally. Make sure you were there. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, stuff goes viral now mm-hmm. and everybody watches yeah. it. Like, Squid Game is obviously one of the more recent ones that everybody's mm-hmm. fucking talking about Squid Game. Oh my God, have you watched Squid Game? So there, it still happens to a degree, but it's not the same, like, communal thing where, like, what are you doing Friday? I'm going home to watch the three part fucking yes. whatever. Yes. Right. They made another Stephen King movie into a four part series and I'm going to be yeah. there and we're talking about it at work on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, every night this weekend, you'll catch another part and we'll talk about it next week. Exactly. So I kind of miss that idea. Mm -hmm. And I wish that more of these movies from back in the day would get put out. I mean, some boutique labels are doing a good job of making them accessible. So how'd you how'd you watch this one specifically then? I dug around until I found it on online. I mean, it's (laughs) it's not available anywhere. Less scrupulous means. Okay. (laughs) Wink, wink, wink. I mean, I, I found a site that was streaming it and I could just watch it on my laptop but there's no fuck it I mean there's no way to watch it otherwise oh yeah well and I pulled up the wiki on it and it, it made its debut on USA Network on August yeah. 8th 1990 uh. so there you go yeah so that was definitely a fun trip so yeah that's all I've got for right now and uh yeah Derek what have you got I have like four recommendations so I'm gonna be carrying the ball on this one I think again I'm strap in so <laughs> last episode I mentioned that I've been listening to Chelsea Wolf. Yes. And I listened to Apocalypse and I moved on to her next album Pain is Beauty. Pain is Beauty is not as horror centric I would say as Apocalypse was. This definitely felt more gothic rock to me, just straight up gothic rock than Apocalypse did, but more like the Cure Robert Smith style gothic rock where it's kind of a little poppy and everything. <laughs> But 
there was yeah. still a lot of dark folk influence in this ethereal wave dark wave all, all those like all the waves wa- all the oh, waves all the dark yeah like all that sinister kind of style that Chelsea does that's part of her sound awesome it, it's in Pain is Beauty to me like just kind of ignoring what she has said in interviews about like what the album is about and like not reading too much into the lyrics just kind of listening through the album in my own mind it almost sounded like the soundtrack to a doomed romance between two ghosts that haunt a Victorian mansion oh my god that's kind of like the sure. sound that speaks yeah. to me on such a like primal level oh my god yeah and <laughs> then also to give credit to Chelsea like uh, she said that while this album it wasn't a concept album it is about tormented love and kind of trying to overcome those odds while there are multiple themes it, it kind of falls back on love both the good and bad aspects of it and how there are just situations that aren't always the easiest but you kind of have to try and get through it and you come out the other end being a better person for it but yeah it is very seductive and and goth like I still think it's a good listen for like people with horror sensibilities Mm -hmm. still has those elements of industrial rock in there too that she sometimes does so I think it is a solid follow up to Apocalypse maybe not as horrifying as Apocalypse was or as dreadful but it still has like those kind of key elements the next album is Abyss which I'm really excited for because that's the one that like a lot of people say is her best and is the most gothic slash spooky that might be my favorite yeah so like i'll report back um once i listen to abyss but yeah again check out chelsea wolf she's fantastic oh my god i'm going to i haven't yet and i just wrote that down to make sure i do because that sounds fantastic yeah she is amazing like a lot of her songs even on this album sound like she's sort of singing to you through a tunnel like she's on like the other end of like a a dark (laughs) tunnel that sounds like it would get annoying but the way she like mixes it and everything it's just so part of her style that like I really enjoyed. Her voice is very beautiful but also extremely haunting at the same time. It. It's solid music to throw on in the middle of the night if you want to like feel spooky but also mm-hmm. feel like a little romantic and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it, Chelsea Wolf is top notch. Yeah, she's great live as well. We saw her a couple of years ago down in New Orleans and it was a great show. Was that the one she did with True Widow? Yes, yes, True Widow is who it was. It was True Widow, of. yeah. I think we might have moved from New Orleans at that point, but I think I remember seeing that show and being like, oh, I wish I was there. But yeah, True Widow, another good, like, we actually have uh, one of their songs on our, <laughs> yeah, our Spotify that's playlist. Another that's one. another good oh, okay. one to check out. But my next recommendation is a book. All right. Strap in. Uh, this book is a book I feel like I could do an entire podcast episode about. It is called A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul G. Tremblay. I've heard about yeah, that. Yeah, it's fucking good, dude. Oh my God, it's on my list. It is so good. I'm going to put it close yeah. to the top now. So yeah. I'm going to definitely make sure that I don't talk too much about spoilers because you can easily spoil a lot about this book. But it was published back in June 2015. It won all kinds of awards. It's on all kinds of lists of best modern horror it takes the idea of an exorcism and kind of deconstructs it and possession in general because mm-hmm. the story begins with the classic possession story. It's told from the perspective of this little girl and kind of goes back and forth between the past and the present. In the present, she's now 23 and she's doing a uh, interview with a writer to like give her the full story of what happened. Mm-hmm. But then it, go- it goes back in time to when she was like an eight-year-old girl and she witnesses her 14-year-old big sister start quote-unquote becoming possessed. I don't won't give too much more away from there Mm -hmm. because like it really like the story really kicks into gear about 100 pages in so you do have to read a bit and if I say any more I'm just going to give away 
like the first hundred pages even, but just the amount of themes of horror that this book explores besides exorcism. I got to give Tremblay a lot of credit because like even the parts where he writes the symptoms of an exorcism or like at least of the mental illness that may actually be happening is very horrifying. But like where the true horror of this novel is it's a book about exploitation. It's about reality TV exploitation. It's about the Catholic Church exploiting Mm -hmm. people. It's about family members exploiting each other. It is just about like people with good intentions. It it literally is like the uh, idiom, good intentions pave the road to hell. People are getting caught up in lies. It has an ending that gut punched me to the point where I almost teared up. There's a lot of elements of parenting gone wrong even in this book. I finished this book while my daughter was napping in my lap. I felt guilty for her for something that happened in a book. Oh my God. It wasn't even anything I've done. But like, it's just like, I will never do this to you. But like the ending was such a punch in the gut. It was on the level of excision. Like this ending of this book, same thing. Jaw on the floor, near tears. It was like, holy shit. This book just goes in places I did not expect it to go at all. It's amazing. So Robert Downey Jr.'s production company bought the rights to this a while back. Oh. And I don't know where in the process it is. I don't know if, I mean, I say a while back, like this was in the last two or three years. So I mean, COVID might have put a massive slam on the brakes for it. I don't know. But um, it was being actively developed at one point by his company. So I'm curious to see what happens. It very, very much lends itself to being a movie. Oh, for okay. Sure. Yeah. So I'm curious to see where that goes. Well, and, and the other thing too that I love about this book, outside of like the exploitation thing, it also talks about how your own memory can betray you and how fiction becomes nonfiction oh, yeah. and vice versa. And it also has a lot to say about mental illness. And again, no offense to any listeners who are, are religious in any whatsoever, whatever works for you, but like, it really explores like how religion can amplify the harm of untreated mental illness yeah. to a crazy degree. And then how when shit really hits a fan, like the Catholic Church isn't going to be there for you mm-hmm. or the church isn't going to be there for you. You're on your own. Again, there's just so much I could talk about with this book, but I don't want to say much more because like I don't want to give away anything. Just trust me on this. This is one of yeah. the best horror novels I have read in a while. It is so fucking good. Um, Aaron, you've you read this then, I'm assuming? Yes, and I think I might have mentioned this way early on the beginning of our show. But yeah, it's solid. And his other book, Cabin at the End of the World, is also I've heard that one's good, too. Yeah, I had both of those on my list. Yeah, Shelby, I would check out Headful Ghost, put that on the top. It's an emotional roller coaster, and like it's horrifying. Yeah, that sounds great. Oh, and another thing he does, too, in this book, Mm -hmm. which is great, is he also deconstructs horror fandom, even, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. And there's one quote. I'm going to paraphrase this quote, but basically it was, what's the difference between like thrill-seeking and watching all these horrifying like possession movies or horror movies and then watching like a mentally ill teenage girl be like presented in front of everyone on TV. Ooh. Yeah. Hold a mirror up to me, sir. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's top notch stuff. Really wow. good story. I'm going to be thinking about this book for a long time wow, to come. Oh, great. So moving on from that, I have a video game and I, oh, I've been chopping at the bit to talk about this one. Uh, Aaron, you know, I love this series. Our listeners should probably know I love this series. I started playing the remaster re-release of Fatal Frame Maiden of Blackwater. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this originally came out on the Wii U and I bought a Wii U just so I could play this game because 
for the US release. It was only released digitally on Wii U. I'm such a fanboy of the Fatal Frame series that I had to play it. So I bought a Wii U just to play this game. But then they announced that they were re-releasing it on everything like on ps5 on switch on xbox one and series x okay cool well i might actually be able to play this one you can actually now play it they just re-released it and it has updated graphics they added like additional content like new costumes and things like that just fair warning because it was a wii u game it looks like an early ps4 game graphic wise like Mm -hmm. even the ps5 version which is the one i have it still looks beautiful in its own way but like it is like just kind of early ps4 kind of graphics yeah. is what you're working with. The uh, voice acting is very low. Uh, you can do English voice acting or Japanese voice acting. Either or is fine. But um, if you do the English, just know that the audio mix is very low. But it almost makes it even more extra creepy because everyone is like so low key like and talking so like, yeah, <laughs> talking so somberly. Yeah. So let me back up for people who don't know what Fatal Frame is. Fatal Frame is a series of Japanese J-horror game. Imagine if the girl from the ring or the grudge was coming after you, except all the ghosts are basically that and they're trying to murder you and you're only way to survive your only weapon against them is a camera that exercises their spirits when you take their pictures i know it sounds ridiculous it doesn't though i feel like fatal frame and pt are two games that i hear referenced a lot when newer horror games especially more indie games i hear a lot of people will use both of those games to be like oh it has fatal frame vibes it has pt vibes and i feel like those two games are what people really newer indie creators really grabbed onto those concepts and ran with it so i I, uh, actually our episode with Colin Bunn on Prince of Darkness I mentioned like the three scariest horror video games in my opinion mm-hmm. PT was on there but then my number one scariest game was the second Fatal Frame Ooh. Fatal Frame Made in a Blackwater is also pretty scary I would say it's actually it might be the second scariest one in the series so Fatal Frame Made in a Blackwater is loosely based on the suicide forest that is near Mount Fuji or on Mount Fuji mm-hmm. it takes place like in a small town near this area um the protagonists because you actually play three different protagonists two of them work in an antique shop they actually will also look for missing persons because some of the people in this shop have this ability that's like kind of passed down through uh the women of the family basically being spiritual mediums like they can kind of sense things okay this place is infamous for all the suicides that are kind of connected to the local bodies of water and like every other fatal frame you come to find out that the reason why this place is cursed and all these murderous ghosts are around is there was some awful fucked up ritual that the village back in the day used to do to like fend off the doors to the underworld like prevent them from opening (laughs) perfect yeah by like sacrificing shrine maidens and everything oh i just read about this there's a book i should have mentioned it It was going to be on my list but i cannot remember the name of it i just read and it's all about going to one of those old mansions over there and how they would bury is it nothing but blackened teeth or or something like that yes is that the yes. name of it? yep i have that book on my shelf right now it's like the next one i'm probably gonna pick up yeah i just read it and it delves into that that's not a spoiler it's you know what it's about but yeah and they i had no idea and i looked into it myself because i was like this has to be a concept for the book no they would bury women alive to like ward off stuff <laughs> it was just like yeah shit 
<laughs> so pretty much every single Fatal Frame game, which is interesting. I wonder if they really do this on purpose, but every single Fatal Frame game, like the main antagonist ghost is usually a shrine maiden woman who was unjustly murdered in one of these rituals. The ritual goes wrong because like she like didn't want to do it or they murdered her loved one or something because like she didn't want to do it. It fucks up. And then her wrath basically like spreads out and corrupts the entire land and like makes it haunted. And like also the doors of the underworld open and I would make it haunted too. That's like radial. Yeah. No, like you always wind up siding with the ghosts <laughs> when you find out their story in these games. Well, one of the protagonists in this game and also one of the protagonists in the third game are men, but like they are usually like more side character mm-hmm. roles. But like in these games, you always play as young girls or women who like are basically trying to at first just survive this, but they always have like a weird tragedy that's tied to their past, um, which we will return to when, when we begin discussion on the changeling. But in this game, and I'm just kind of read straight from the synopsis. In this game, resident tried maidens would use their mind reading abilities to help guide people to peaceful death. Over time, they would grow too emotional to perform their abilities and they would be sacrificed as a quote unquote eternal flower to keep the malevolent otherworldly power called the black water at bay. Of course, this fucks up with one of the tried maidens because I think she winds up falling in love with someone who comes like an outsider from the village. They don't like that. The black water, of course, escapes and drowns the mountain and corrupts the entire spiritual like essence and so now in the modern times at first the game begins with you helping out trying to find like missing people who go to the mountain and of course you find out they went to the mountain because they were lured there because they were suicidal or depressed and the ghosts of the shrine mains were corrupting them into killing themselves so they could also be trapped in like this never-ending loop of the curse so it starts there you have the camera that can exercise spirits and it goes from there where you find out the whole story of how this happened and you try and undo the curse a lot of this has to do with with a lot of the themes of drowning, a lot of themes of water. So what makes that extra creepy to me is because I have a big fear of drowning. It's kind of funny we're talking about the changeling this week because for whatever reason, when you associate haunting and ghost with water and mm-hmm. drowning, that's extra creepy to me. And this whole <laughs> game is that. Okay. Um, there's even a mechanic where like if your character gets too wet, you can get randomly attacked by ghosts more often oh, to the man. point where like they even have items that help dry you off so you're not attacked as much. But yeah, it's fucking fantastic game it is a little bit rough around the edges for people who aren't necessarily like horror game savvy it doesn't quite have tank controls like old ps1 games do you had to explain that to me recently i'm not that much of a gamer but i was like what the fuck is tank controls that sounds awful that sounds like a fucking miserable way to play a video game by the way it's a lot like eating raw clams it's an acquired taste of a gaming experience because i love it but i'm also used to it but this game i feel like is a lot more accessible for people because it's not quite that bad at all your character is a little stiff but i think they do that on purpose because also makes the ghosts a lot more terrifying and dangerous yeah if you can't move around as well the ghost can like kind of have a chance of attacking you in a weird way the ghost designs of course are fucking horrifying they're all j-horror-esque ghosts and one of my favorite things that the fatal frame games do especially like this newer one when you're walking around the level you also encounter non-hostile spirits that just pop up in the background of things almost in the style of what I've seen from Haunting of Hill House where there's always a ghost somewhere in each scene that's kind of the way it is in this game you even get extra points if you can like catch a picture of it before it fades off screen but they also (laughs) lend themselves to like some pretty crazy jump scares in the second level second or third level you go to the mountain because this woman says that her friend went to the mountain is missing and she needs your help so you go with her to this mountain and of course she runs off you lose track of her and you're looking for her well at one point you're like kind of 
climbing up this cliffside and it starts with you seeing this ghost woman standing on the cliffside muttering like random shit and as you walk your way up the cliff you hear her scream and you see her body fall right beside you and land then you like go up the cliff when you get to the peak where she fell from if you look over the side she then appears behind you and says some (gasps) things and then fades away and then when you go on the other side of the mountain and like get to the spot where like she threw herself and committed suicide you like find her suicide note that she had written long ago and yeah shit like that it's very fucking creepy so yes please check out fatal frame maiden of blackwater i want as many people as possible to buy this game so they make a new one one. like (laughs) i want yeah like and that's what they said if the sales are good for this game especially with the re-release they're going to consider making another one so i want them to make another one so bad because i fucking love this franchise so much it's the scariest franchise in video gaming in my opinion so is this a physical release or is this a digital only release right now it's a digital only the only way you can get a physical is if you buy the japanese copy which is region free and has the English voice acting on it like you can get a patch of it but the only downside to getting the physical release from Japan is that if you download any DLC or anything like that it'll region lock DLC and stuff like that so sure (laughs) my ass bought it both digitally and physically (laughs) (laughs) that's two people who wanted this game you guys see people are interested yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) like two people interested (laughs) but I also like I'm a huge physical collector uh, when it comes to like video games and stuff and uh I collect a lot of retro video games, but like I like having physical media. So I wanted it for my display case, but I also like wanted to like have access to any DLC. So I downloaded the digital release as well. Plus the digital release let me upgrade to the PS5 version, even even though there might not be that much of a difference. Yeah. But yeah, it is out on everything basically now. So guys, please just buy this game (laughs) so I can play more of them. That's all I got. I could talk about more Junji Ito, but I think I've taken up enough save time. Save that for the next one. I'll save yeah. that one for the next one. And uh, yeah, so that's it. Let's let's move on to the movie. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's go ahead and get started with our discussion of 1980, directed by Peter Medak, The Changeling. Within this old house live two residents. One of them is John Russell, composer, professor, The other has been dead for over 70 years. Did you die in this house? How did you die? Whatever it is, it's trying desperately to communicate. What is it in that house, Claire? What is it doing? Why is it trying to reach me? It's a hand. something of the senators he wants it back
so yeah the changeling uh, i was gonna say uh when we have a guest on we like to pick their brain as to why they either chose the film or they want to come on for specific films so in this case what is it about the changeling that really like speaks to you and like why you want to come on and talk about this movie specifically so first of all the author of the script actually stayed in a creepy old haunted house and found a creepy hidden room where a child was living at one time and so the fact that the background is so similar to the actual movie is terrific to me that's awesome and george c scott is fantastic and i think it was really ahead of its time i saw an interview with um it was an old siskel and ebert episode uh or a clip from it where they were reviewing the changeling and the thing that they hated about it is what i see is why it was before its time and roger ebert had this huge problem with george c scott's performance and how it was so earnest and so subtle and how he reacted like a person would react in all these situations and actually made smart decisions and he was like I just think that it needed to be campy it's a horror movie it's supposed to be campy and melodramatic and he was just reacting too well which is hilarious that their problem with it was that the acting was too good especially since George C. Scott's one of those actors that's known for like just constantly screaming and just like rah and just being really big and he's (laughs) so understated in this movie and I like too to your point that at no point is he absolutely incredulous about what's going on there's never a point where he's still adamantly denying that like exactly. there's anything supernatural happening yeah. despite all the crazy shit he like kind of just looks at it for what it is chooses to accept hey maybe this is what's going on and i'm gonna like be earnest about pursuing is this what's happening you know well it, he recognizes the thing that hauntings a lot of the time is just history repeating itself yeah yeah it's him trying to solve this mystery of like this wrongful doing back in recorded history of this house mm-hmm. to this child and like it's him solving the mystery while like dealing with the ghostly entity that is stuck to the house well and while grieving his wife and daughter the death of his wife and daughter i mean i feel like even part of it maybe this is me reading way too much into it but to me i was like i feel like the reason he was so accepting is because if there's a ghost in his house that's proof of life beyond death you know and that would be very comforting if you're grieving even though this is a spooky ghost that means my wife and daughter are somewhere you know still somewhere and so yeah that's what I just feel like it's very reminiscent of modern day almost like the conjuring type movies where everyone's sort of on board with the ghost and we're all just gonna like figure it out yeah (laughs) yeah I don't mind the trope of we don't know what this is for a little while Mm-hmm. Like once enough real crazy shit has happened and people yeah. are still trying to deny it, it's like, all right, come on. It does get tired very quickly. Oh, yeah. Well, like the horror movie dad has become a stereotype. Yeah. There's totally. chairs flying around and the dad's still just like, oh, no, it's, you know, we just got termites or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a gas leak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always a very stupid explanation. And kind of going back to like what I hinted at during our recommendations of hitting me an emotional beat from a rental standpoint. Oh, for sure. The mm-hmm. opening fucking scene was like, yeah. oh, okay, this is where we're going. But a, a whole nother thing too, and I constantly bring this up with Aaron anytime we like watch a ghost movie, because it just so happens that most of the ghost movies we've watched so far have the backdrop of some familial tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like family, 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 <laughs> 
family and tragedy of family are always tied to like the best ghost stories, including this one. And hell, you brought up a good point, Shelby, about like there being that tie, like he understands a ghost to a certain level because of what happened with his family. There's even a quote from the medium, I think, where she's just Mm -hmm. like, the ghost trusts you because you have gone through this great tragedy and you're in grief and feels the love that you're like emanating for your lost Mm -hmm. wife and child. I thought that quote was the whole spine of this movie, so to speak. Yeah, totally. And I I think, too, the movie kind of very much, uh, you know, it didn't start, but this was one of kind of the first major versions of, like we talked about, there is a ghost haunting thing and it's not trying to just get you or terrify you or come back into our world or whatever. It's specifically reaching out Mm -hmm. for justice. It's reaching out to, like, be heard. It's reaching out because there was some kind of wrongdoing or crime committed and... It kind of asks that question, like, if you were in a position to help, would you help? Mm -hmm. How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to put your reputation on the line or just sound crazy to anybody around you? You know, how far are you willing to go to, like, see that this wrong is righted and that there's justice? And are you somehow cosmically responsible, even though, like, you just wandered into this situation? Mm -hmm. You know, because it also means what happened with his wife and daughter ultimately like Mm -hmm. what kind of questions does that raise in his mind about what is their current state now that it's clear like there is some level of afterlife Mm -hmm. there is some level of a spirit world what does that mean for his wife and daughter you know are they still out there what's going on the movie never gets into that necessarily but i'm still curious you know what what was he thinking Mm -hmm. yeah this is a weird childlike thought i've had since i was a little boy and it's been this thought i've had every time i watch ghost movies up to even when i was watching this movie usually it's with a more murderous ghost like one that's terrorizing people but i was thinking of even the movie we are still here that we did a while back and like those ghosts were literally killing people like driving their hands and arms through people's chests like burning them alive and shit like that but I always wonder like what happens to their souls when a (laughs) ghost murders you or like even an oculus do they just fade into the afterlife or are they now stuck with this fucking asshole ghost who like murdered you (laughs) just murdered you but like I always do wonder that which is kind of I guess why I like the Fatal Frames game so much because it is explicitly stated that if you die from one of these ghosts you're part of the curse now (laughs) but I was even thinking childlike thoughts like that but yeah, it is. It kind of goes back to like why he is so sympathetic mm-hmm. to yeah. the ghost that's haunting. And it's not like the ghost is making it easy on him either because every morning at 6 a.m. it's making that loud banging sound. Mm-hmm. It's running faucets and all that stuff. He sees an image of it drowning in this bathtub, which yeah. is one of the creepier moments of this entire movie to mm-hmm. me. The scene that really got me was like it's towards the end where he like runs into the house and the ghost is throwing shit around and he just screams at he's like what else do you want yes, from me? I've, I've done, done everything. everything else yeah. done everything mm-hmm. you wanted what else do you want that was kind of like where I was like he really does care about like what's going on like he's not just attracted to the mystery even though there are elements of that this is mm-hmm. very much as much of a mystery movie as it is a horror movie it is. but like in that moment I realized like he really wants this to work for whatever the boy that's haunting this this house and you can mm-hmm. feel that yeah totally so the whole idea behind the name is in Euro folklore and legends, right? A changeling was typically like some kind of imp, troll, goblin, fairy kind of thing, right? Like a cryptid almost, yeah. 
transformed into like a human baby. Oh, that's and right. Left and in place of that yeah. real child, yeah. right? And replaced. Mm-hmm. When y'all suggested this movie, I thought we were going to go into this of being like, it's some demonic spirit that's trying to take over a child. That's where my thought yeah. process went because I like the folklore of a changeling. But I love the reveal of what the changeling the actually change, means in the context of yeah. this. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that, but like very well done, very good title for this movie. Yeah, I like that idea as kind of a starting point because that type of thing has happened in real life several times. I mean, there's been a few weird notable incidences where this kind of thing has been documented this entire let's just say scheme that was kind of mm-hmm. hatched up by this family it's sad it's it's sad once you realize okay this guy's entire life you know regardless of how you feel about him i guess because he is kind of made out to be like your typical lifelong politician mm-hmm. it's still kind of one of those sad things realizing like this entire guy's life has been a lie his family's a lie everything his to his name is all a lie and he doesn't deserve any of it on top of that right Which when they brought focus to his character when he's like speaking at the orchestra i was just like man is this another dead zone situation like <laughs> that guy is gonna have something to do with the problem they introduce him very clunkily and i understand why i feel like they were kind of like we got to introduce him at some point but like we can't give anything away so like here he is and he's a senator here he is you know (laughs) republican senator at that if we want to be real timely (laughs) but yeah it's always one of those weird things where like anytime this kind of story happens just the whole thought of man fucking 80 years of your life has been a lie bro Mm -hmm. like he mentions in the movie john mentions in the movie like you've always known Mm -hmm. in the back of your head you've always known something's fucking wrong but because you're comfortable and because you have wealth and everything that you want and everything's worked out for mm-hmm. you, you don't question it. You don't even bother to question it. But he and does. And ask yourself, a- like, am I comfortable with, with this situation? Mm-hmm. And it's only when he gets called out yeah, to like, what Derek's trying to say, like, that he really actually thinks about it for probably the first time ever. Well, he, he knows something's wrong because when he hears that they're digging into it, he sends his goon to the house. Yeah. He gets her, like, basically fired from her job. He has that other worker, that secretary, that's working there like reporting to him like when they're digging too deep so like he knows there's some fucked history with my dad and that house that I don't want them finding I'm just gonna be in denial about it but at the same time I'm gonna try and stop him yeah I feel like if there was like a novel version of this which there may be I don't know seeing more from his the senator's perspective especially near the end maybe a big reveal I'd love to see a recount of all of the moments in his life where he realized there was something wrong with his dad you don't have a father who does something like that and then with his like changeling son is just dad of the year all the time you know there's got to have been like whispers he heard and this and that I would have loved to see a flashback of him as a kid kind of seeing there was something going on and he did know that because like you said he sends his goons he knew there was something going on he knew there was something wrong but he clearly didn't know exactly what which that jump scare got me kind of good was the one where he like looks in the mirror and the mirror shatters and he sees the goons dead body I wasn't expecting that one all right horror newbies this is a pretty solid ghost film to start with like if you're trying to dip your toes into horror and like me go scare you Mm -hmm. this is a solid beginner horror movie it's just creepy and scary enough 
almost a little bit in like that Victorian romantic style mm-hmm. of ghost story, but kind of also still modern enough. I mean, granted, it's 1980s, but like modern enough yeah. to mm-hmm. like where you can relate to a lot of things. It's a good scare. Like it's a it's a creepy movie, but it's also a, a tragic movie, but a movie that also is very satisfactory by the end, too. I don't know. It, it, I think this would be a great one for people who just love horror of any level, um, mm-hmm. no matter how what scares you. So I think this is a great movie to start with. Something I wanted to like, you kind of touched on this a little, and I wanted to pick your brain a little bit more about it. Yeah. One of the things that I was getting that really draws you to this movie is the idea of the writer of the movie having a similar experience. With your own work, regardless of if you believe in any supernatural anything or not, but have you had an experience like the writer of The Changeling? Has anything in your life influenced any of your stories, like any weird experiences or whatever? Oh, yeah, definitely. I had one that um, I've talked about it on other like another ghost podcast because it's like my one big story that is just unexplainable to me. And, it, you know, like I was kind of at a point where I was so interested in ghosts, but I didn't really believe in them at this point. And I was just like, you know, they're so fascinating to me, but I don't really think they're real. And it was actually in Vicksburg, Mississippi at the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my husband, we were dating at the time and he brought me home to meet the folks for the first time. And I had never been there and I'm born and raised in California. So I was like, hey, can we go see something historical? California, we kind of destroy a lot of historical stuff and you guys keep all your old shit. So <laughs> can we go see something old? And um, he was like, let's go see the battlefield in Vicksburg. And I was like, great. Yeah, we had this experience together. And that's another thing is he experienced it too. So it was kind of like having a witness there was, oh, this really happened. I don't know what happened, but I know it happened. Yeah. Basically, we were driving through the battlefield. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have maybe been there. I know you're from near there. It's been a while, but yeah. But yeah, like you can drive around the battlefield to all the little locations that are still the buildings and things. And most of it is forest. They've let the forest retake it, which I think is great. We drove around through a foresty part. We kind of stopped. Oh, because there were some deer and I grew up in the desert. So deer are actually very exciting to me. I know they're not exciting to most of the world because they're like a nuisance. But <laughs> I get really excited when I see deer. I li- like I said, I grew up yeah. in the desert. So I was like, oh, my God, deer. And so he stopped the car so I could see the deer like... <laughs> This dumb Californian. And I started hearing something in my ear. Like someone was whispering to me. A man was whispering to me. I was like, that's weird. And so the radio was on. So it was kind of like it's something in the radio. It's picking up a signal. Well, my husband reached over and he turned off the radio because apparently he was hearing the same thing in his ear. Like, what the fuck is this? Because we didn't say anything to each other. And I was keeping it to myself because this was my new boyfriend who I did not want to be like, I'm hearing ghosts. (laughs) Do you want to stay with me forever? You know? We hadn't had a spiritual talk yet either. Like we didn't know what each other was believed in or anything. So I was definitely not going to say anything right then. So he turns off the radio and then he turns off the car. I think both of us had the same idea. It has to be like a rattling in the car or something. He turned off the car and we both heard men in our ears. Like they were standing next to us talking like a group of men and the sounds of the forest were gone that was another thing that i noticed before it happened was i noticed that we couldn't hear birds or trees moving and then we just heard these like men right next to us in our ears whispering and it was like they were whispering about us like they could see us which was weird because we couldn't see them but we could hear them 
I've talked about it on my show and people have sent me in like things they think happened and like I've gotten really into time slips and things because they're like, it must have been a time slip. Maybe it wasn't ghosts. Maybe you kind of had a weird thing where time was different and you ran into an actual group of Civil War soldiers who were like, who the fuck is this? They were just as terrified. Like, what the fuck is happening? Who are these people? You know, I don't know if they could see the vehicle we were sitting in, but if they could be like, what is this? You know, (laughs) and then eventually they just stopped and it was a car had come up behind us so we just like started the car really quick and like drove off what's that (laughs) and that is the scariest thing that's happened to me so yeah i think that's why i really related to this author being like oh yeah i stayed in a haunted house again I already mentioned it, but the fact that he actually found a locked off forgotten room, just like John does in the movie. I mean, anybody who's into horror, that's like the dream, right? It's always creepy. Yeah. (laughs) 13 year old me would be like, oh, yeah, yes. Time to explore. But real quick, kind of going off the battlefield thing. um, Mm. I've never haven't had any weird experiences with battlefields myself. But one of my friend's sisters, she is a photographer and she just randomly decided to like go out to one of the battlefields that was open to the public and like Mm. have a lunch out there like under a tree just take some pictures near like some of the old grave markers and everything Mm -hmm. and she posted this one picture and she's just like i'm telling you all right now i did nothing to this picture didn't doctor it any way whatsoever she took a picture of i think the sun setting over the tree that she had eaten her lunch at and there Mm -hmm. were some gravestones in the background and there was a what you would picture a ghostly image of a guy who looked like he was wearing like an old either confederate or union style outfit perfect it was like this weird misty (laughs) shadow thing oh Oh and she God. even said, like, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't know what to believe. But, like, she like, posted it on Facebook. I, I could probably maybe look it up if I tried right now. She posted on there. And she's like, I just felt like I need to share this with everyone. Because, like, this is kind of rad, but also kind of fucking creepy. Yeah. Just taking yeah. random pictures <laughs> of the nature and the field itself. And this wow. boom, like, this, like, shadow is just in the middle of my photo. And it was one of the better, like, ghost pictures I, I've seen on the internet, period. Yeah, I just find that kind of stuff fascinating. Like, when there's a bit of reality, whether it's explainable or not Mm -hmm. that influences these stories and that kind of recontextualizes the changeling as a whole for me because i didn't know that the writer was influenced by real life experience until you brought that up yeah yeah supposedly he like stayed in a mansion Mm -hmm. this was in denver this was in the cheeseman chessman i don't know the cheeseman park area of denver this was the henry treat rogers mansion which we've mentioned before on a previous episode we mentioned on the poltergeist episode because it's the same supposedly haunted house that inspired that whole thing interesting so it inspired two horror movies all right yeah so supposedly russell hunter stayed there and like you said, he found this journal in a hidden room that detailed kind of the sad life of this disabled mm-hmm. boy. His parents locked him away, and he claims to have made contact with the spirit of the boy during a seance and located his remains in some kind of gold medallion chain at a nearby house. Wow. Dot, dot, dot. Who knows how much of that is actually true? Yeah. But, you know, that's at least the seed nugget kind of of a wild story, Mm -hmm. right? So that's kind of what the original basis of this movie was. And it's interesting because this movie has influenced so many other filmmakers since. I mean, Scorsese specifically was like, this is one of my absolute 
favorite horror mm-hmm. movies. Del Toro has talked about it several times. I mean, The Devil's Backbone and Crimson Peak are both pretty heavily influenced yeah, by this movie. Definitely. Mm-hmm. James Wan, also, the auto-writing scene from this movie, mm-hmm. straight up he cribs it for Insidious. You know, that, mu- that must be why it reminded me so much of The Conjuring. It just evoked the feeling of The Conjuring movies, so that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alejandro Amenabar, as well, who directed The Others, has also said that movie was a huge influence on the others so yeah there's definitely like a lot of you know people pulling influence from this movie i can see that now that having watched it it feels like uh one of those kind of key moments in ghost movies yeah for sure and at the end of the day too this movie was a decent hit it had a 6.6 million dollar budget it made 12 million it was a canadian production which you know this was kind of one of the bigger worldwide releases for canada you know so i'm i'm very curious to learn more about kind of the background of this movie in terms of the real life you know inspiration but it's at least interesting that he just 100 percent cites oh yeah no i saw some fucked up shit one time and that's what inspired me to write this (laughs) (laughs) donald kamel was originally supposed to direct it he was one of the two people offered it originally and he turned it down for creative differences i heard that he wanted to do the entire thing black and white and the studio was like "Mm, no absolutely not yeah (laughs) but He also directed Performance, Demon Seed, White of the Eyes. I mean, he kind of had already dipped into horror. Now, Peter Medak, who ultimately directed this, he did The Craze and Romeo is Bleeding, which is an awesome crime thriller. He did Species 2. He did a lot of other TV. This is kind of really... Yeah, Species (laughs) 2 of all things. Yeah, his magnum opus, Species 2. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this is like really his only dip into horror, which is kind of interesting because you Usually, and we've talked about this a few times before, usually horror is something that a lot of filmmakers will start off with because it's relatively affordable Mm -hmm. to do. It kind of makes a splash. It lets you do a lot of stylistic exercise. And this is like his 20th movie. You know, he just kind of like dipped into it because I think he thought the story was intriguing. You know, the the idea of grief and processing all that, I think, is what kind of drew him to it from everything that I've read. You know, so it is definitely an, an out of place thing when you look at the rest of his filmography but he's since gone on to do a lot of big prestige tv stuff and he's directed things like hannibal and breaking bad so he's kind of dipped back in since this and the other two screenplay writers diana maddox hadn't done a whole lot and William Gray, he would kind of go on to do some more horror. So he did Prom Night, The Philadelphia Experiment, Black Moon Rising, and a lot of other TV. But it, this is just kind of a unique standout bit of horror in the larger framework of all these other people's careers. Even from a cast standpoint, for the most part, these were not actors who did horror. You know, George C. Scott obviously is the lead. He plays John Russell who, like we mentioned, is a composer. Which I love that bit about the main character and being like already a successful composer so none of that is really important to the story in terms of it struggling outside of his work or anything like but that. But it's flavor. But it's flavor and it like... And it gives the vehicle for him to have recording equipment to have picked up yes. the yes. voices. You know? Exactly. Love it. Yeah. And even like is a great introduction to the 
the haunting because he plays the piano and then there's that one key that's dull. Yes. He gets up, walks away. I love the way they frame this because it waits like a good couple seconds and then the key plays by itself and it's actually like not no longer yeah. dull. It makes the note. Yeah. And like that's such a good introduction mm-hmm. to like this place is haunted as shit to the point where I was just like bring up We Are Still Here yet again. Like We Are Still Here does that at the very end of its movie and I wonder if that's like an homage to the oh, changeling. Oh, it might be, yeah. Very well could be. Yeah. I love yeah. that moment too because it reminded me of stories you hear like this where if you ask, oh, have you ever had a ghost experience? It'll be something as simple as that. Oh, well, I left the room yeah. and I heard the piano play a note or two and that's about it for real life ghost yeah. stories. And so I feel like that's what I loved about the movie is that it grabbed you in like such a, my aunt had this happen to her way. This sounds like something that like I've actually heard happens to people when they see a ghost or yeah. experience something, you know? It, it works so much better and is creepier than like my cat stared at the corner for yeah. like four hours because like my cats do that anyway. <laughs> One of them yeah. is a special boy and it's just the way he is. Yeah, really. So yeah, George C. Scott, he was in Anatomy of a Murder, The Hustler, Dr. Strangelove, Patton. Patton was hardcore. big one. Yeah. Oh, did he play Patton? Yeah. Yes, and mm-hmm. won an Oscar. I've never seen that movie. That's on my list of must watches. But that's the thing that like, I know you mentioned this, Aaron, and you're going to kind of run through the cast and like their, their credits. You mentioned how like not a lot of them maybe have done horror overall but like they all treat this movie with the respect and earnesty of any other performance it felt like totally which is what makes it so good i would worry if like someone like george c scott who is such an accomplished actor came into this and was just like oh this is a fucking horror movie who cares but like no he he brings the thunder in this like any other movie Mm -hmm. and so does everyone else really like everyone really tries their best in this movie and it works because they're all fucking good actors Mm -hmm. that's why that fucking criticism you're talking about earlier about them not liking it being so well acted is absurd to me. Crazy. Uh Doesn't make any sense. This movie would not work at all if it was campy. I'm sorry. Like the seriousness and the gravity that they bring to this movie. That's why it feels so much more like a classic ghost story that's modernized Mm -hmm. up to the point where like the house itself feels very Victorian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Last thing I'll mention with George C. Scott, he was also after this in some more horror. He was in Firestarter and The Exorcist 3, which we will definitely oh, yeah. oh hell yeah eventually. and he's oh, hell yeah. fucking excellent in Exorcist mm-hmm. 3 that's another example of he could play it campy mm-hmm. and is actually treating the material with respect and it kind of elevates that story to the next level because he's actually Mm -hmm. taking it seriously purposeful camp works but i feel like this movie doesn't lend itself to purposeful camp at all no he knew a little bit of piano but he did learn the piano piece that he plays with the students oh shit so he's actually playing that's fantastic yeah which is very rare for sure but yeah like i said i I like how restrained he is he's always fairly level-headed in the movie he never goes full screaming except maybe (laughs) once or twice right but it's not that same like it is not in the file. You son of a bitch! I believe! My God! We're fine! You know, it's not Dr. Strangelove smacking on chewing gum and, like, bugging his eyes out kind of screaming. Yeah, yeah. But um, the Claire Norman character is played by Trish Vandeveer, uh, which, at the time, she and George C. Scott were married. This mm-hmm. was their, like, seventh or eighth movie that they did together. She was also in Hal Ashby's The Landlord, which is excellent. Where's Papa and The Hearse? I looked up a bit about The Hearse. That movie seems fucking wild. And I kind of want us to do 
do it. <laughs> I have not seen it, so I'm, I'm thinking yeah. I might check that one out. I added yeah. that to my list. Melvin Douglas plays Senator Carmichael, and he is kind of one of those elder statesmen actors, right? He was in a ton of stuff in the 30s and 40s. He actually fucking served in World War II oh, wow. and was gray-listed during the late 40s along with a few other kind of lefty people like Edward G. Robinson. Um, even though he was staunchly anti-communist, he was still kind of gray-listed for a while and had trouble getting work. But eventually, in the 60s and 70s especially, he had a whole second wind to his career now that he was older and was kind of filling in that role in a lot of stuff. So yeah, he starred in some earlier movies like The Old Dark House, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, but kind of in that second part of his career, he went on to win an Oscar for HUD, and he was in The Candidate, and The Tenant, which is another horror movie. He won another Oscar for being there, again, another Hal Ashby movie, and his last movie was Ghost Story, which is another pretty fucking good ghost movie. So yeah, he was in a bunch of cool stuff. The other two cast people that I will just briefly touch on simply because this is just weird personal interest shit. <laughs> J. Kenneth Campbell, who played the Marquis de Sade in Waxwork that we, again, just recently covered. <laughs> he is just one of the, like, goons of the senator. In oh, this really? Movie, and it's <laughs> kind of wild just, like, seeing him in the background with his 70s hair. Yeah, because he's such a bastard in Waxwork. <laughs> yeah, really. And the other person I would mention is Joanna Russell in the movie, the wife that's murdered at the beginning. She is played by an actress named Jean Marsh. And Jean Marsh is an actress who kind of haunted my childhood in the best way. She played both the witch Mombi in Return to Oz that swapped out her fucking heads with other people. Oh, yeah. And then she also plays Queen Bev Morda in Willow. Oh, my God. So she is totally one of those actresses that has been a weird part of my entire childhood yeah. life. So did she scare the shit out of you when you were a boy? No, not necessarily. Just she was in these movies yeah. that I watched constantly growing up. So I really only knew her in that context. Man, I loved Willow. But there's tons of other people in this cast that are very interesting that have been in a lot. of. So there's a lot of TV actors in it as well, too. I, I want to say that, what was it, John Calicos plays Captain DeWitt, the main goon that bites it. Yeah. He very much felt like one of those that guy actors that I've seen in like he was. 70s, 80s movies. Yeah, he was in a ton of that kind of stuff. Yeah. The score by Rick Wilkins is excellent. Chef's Kiss this is one of my favorite horror movie scores. Uh, and music is like such a central thing in this movie with Russell being a composer. It's very much how he accesses the spirit side of this house, like we mentioned. So the score is excellent. And there's parts where it really does send shivers up your spine, especially mm -hmm. when, you know, the ball rolls down the stairs. That's so creepy. Yeah. Time yeah. Where he like <laughs> tried to fucking ditch the ball and the score is just blasting right there in that moment. It's so good. Kind of going on that, this felt like a very much less is more type of scares yes. mm -hmm. because it's inanimate objects doing weird shit, which is a very like common trope. The cinematography of this movie, by the way, is fucking phenomenal. I mm -hmm. thought with the way that the camera slowly walks behind people or like slowly comes into a room. Like I love that shot where it goes slowly through the room up to him playing the piano until he hits the like note that doesn't work, introduces the first ghost scare, I guess you could say. But like even that scene where and, and the score even treats it kind of bombastic 
drastically, but it, it's well earned. Where the the wheelchair, like the old school, like 1900s wheelchair, rolls itself up to the top of the stair landing, like as if the boy is looking down at uh, him and her, like as they like are arguing about something at the bottom of the stairs. Like even that shit was creepy. The ball stuff worked so well. Like the wine glass flying off the table and crashing oh, into the cabinet. That was so unexpected too. Yeah, very unexpected. That's one of the best jump scares because the entire time the frame and the action in that scene is misdirecting you and you're watching that weird metal cone. The metal thingy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like, bam, something else mm-hmm. flies around. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to, but I wanted to look up, was that like an old school like ghost hunter thing that like, people yeah, in the 80s used? Yeah, what was used? that? I don't... What the fuck was that? <laughs> I've yeah. never seen it since in any other movie or anything. I don't know. I, I've seen auto writing in a few I've different things. I've seen auto writing, yeah. but know, not a giant you know what that's about but not cone. whatever that like ghost cone <laughs> ghost was ghost <laughs> cone. well the latest this movie does like one of my favorite tropey tropes that I, I wish more movies did nowadays here's this super successful super rich prestigious university we have a paranormal wing that like yep. does yeah, ghost research <laughs> I love that he's walking in the hallway with that scientist it's just like paranormal research and I'm a doctor of ghosts yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the movie's credit the guy at least says 99.5% of the people that come through here are bullshit yeah. spiritual mediums that are like just trying to earn a buck and they're fakes but you know the 1% that are actually genuine will like scare the crap out of you yeah. and I was like okay that's alright I'll take that but like I love yeah. just that Ghostbusters ass here's our paranormal department <laughs> that we fund for some reason that's what I was about to say like right down the hallway is where Vankman <laughs> has his office <laughs> and then if you go in the opposite direction it's where old girl and her people are that are going to go to the poltergeist house later so yeah they're all in the same place yeah so good i love that i wish that was in more horror movies nowadays (laughs) no i know what did y'all think about the actual house itself just like on a surface level, like what are your thoughts about the house? I thought it was gorgeous and I thought it was a good choice because it was kind of twisty and turny. Yeah. The stairs themselves had very rigid edges that you would have to go around and I feel like that built up the tension a lot. And yeah. I loved all the doors, all the different types of doors because the scene where he walks in and the, all the doors slam, oh my God. And it's just like different types of doors. Something about that was so eerie to me. Like the glass doors were rattling in a different way than the wooden doors were. And it just felt yeah. like we didn't even get to see the expanse of the whole house which to me felt good I liked that we didn't get like a tour of the house necessarily we kind of did but I feel like there was a lot more to the house and seeing the real house it's huge they did not film in the whole house and so I felt like that gave me a feeling of it's almost like and I, this is another thing I was putting on the character that probably was not ever thought about. But I was like, it's almost like he's gotten too scared to explore the rest of the house. Like, I'm just going to be in my bedroom yeah. and the piano room and the kitchen. And we're going to go look at the creepy room upstairs when we discover it. And that's it. And like, I don't want to go in this giant ass house, you know? Well, to that point, that's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> I do love those front doors, by the way. Those yeah. front doors are yes. excellent. I love that weird round. What's the word for it? It's like a magnifying glass, essentially. Mm-hmm. I, I love, 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 love those front doors. Well, I was going to say, kind of going on Shelby's point, that with a haunted house movie, like this is capital H, capital H haunted house movie. Mm-hmm. Like the house has to be just as much of a character yes. as everyone yes. else. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, Shelby, the way they treat it, it really is successful because that staircase where it almost seems like it ends on one floor and then you have to go up another set to get to another yeah. floor. 
and I think there are a total of what three or four floors. So like mm-hmm. to get all the way up to like the attic where all the haunted shit is or where the boy is probably at, mm-hmm. you have to climb all this way and it's very winding. Like and where it really shines is when she goes to the house by herself while he's confronting the center. Oh, and yeah. she gets attacked by the the ghost boy by the wheelchair and the wheelchair yeah. chases her and like mm-hmm. she's just frantically running and turning and running and it lasts a lot longer and that's when you really realize like oh shit yeah when you're like trapped in this house mm-hmm. you got a ways to go to get to the front door again and like yeah you're fucked kind of moment mm-hmm. um if a ghost is trying to come after you okay so i've got two thoughts before we change away from the house one and this is just a general gripe i have about any kind of haunted house movie I like that this house starts off as, oh, it's been empty, it's been abandoned, mm-hmm. it's nasty, it's dirty, it's old and musty and dusty, right? They even have that old lady be like, you shouldn't be in that house, oh, it yeah, doesn't like that people the there. the house doesn't like people or <laughs> yeah. something weird, really cryptic, yeah. Yeah, not at all ominous. Is that your way of getting people out of that house <laughs> for the senator, really? Because she turns out to be like one of the senator's goons. Yeah, yeah like... It would have worked on me because it's like, well, check, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah same. I've been like, that's yeah. all I need to hear, lady. But yeah, the uh, one thing that gripes me about these kind of mm-hmm. movies is they at least clean this house. There's a whole bit where you're seeing like there are cleaning people here. Mm-hmm. There's a handyman dude who's fixing mm-hmm. things and they make the house livable. One thing that gripes me to no end is when you have these haunted house movies and the haunted house is dirty and nasty and unlivable as fuck to make the house seem Creepier. eerie. Mm-hmm. I mentioned James Wan earlier. He's especially bad about this. As much as I like Insidious and I like the Conjuring movies, you know, to that degree, mm-hmm. and even Malignant that just came out recently, yes. it's bananas stupid it's fun, bananas. right? It is. Loved it though. But all of those movies, mm-hmm. there's no fucking way that I would ever want to be in that house let alone live in those houses Mm -hmm. the house in the conjuring one the paint is peeling off all the walls there's mold everywhere Mm -hmm. everything is creaky and falling apart i would not want to just live in this house the house in the second movie especially the british one the infield one oh yeah with the flooded basement and all the The mold mold all over the walls who the fuck in their right mind would live there with the dead guy furniture they knew it was dead guy furniture they didn't know there was a ghost yet but they knew there was dead guy furniture and when you say dead guy furniture, it's an armchair that has an indentation yes. in it from a dead, <laughs> from a dead bloated dude, body you are that has begging like to be haunted. black nasty stains all over it. Not just inherited antiques. It's got dead guy in it still. Yeah. You know, and, and Malignant was kind of the same way. Even the house that this woman lives in, again, mold everywhere, paint yeah. peeling off the walls. Anyway, so I like at least that this movie addresses, hey, this house is nasty and unlived in but we're gonna clean it up yeah i love the idea of the historical society being like yeah we rent it out so we can keep it up and so yeah it's a little rough around the edges but we're working on it and like yeah it really wasn't disgusting okay but it's so funny because you say that when he does discover that secret room that's too many spider webs that's too many spider webs (laughs) i don't care if it was 100 years ago well at the time it wasn't 100 years but like that's too many spider webs i mean it was just too much to me it's so funny you say that because i thought that about the little room it was just too dirty it was like an inch of dust everywhere. You can tell they got that movie <laughs> dust, which is very fine. I've worked with it before. And it settled and it's like, no, this looks good. Yeah. And let's add more spider webs. And it was just like, oh, you guys, this is too much. You've seen houses that are abandoned. We, Especially nowadays, abandoned houses, that's like a hobby for people to go into abandoned houses. And they're not yeah. that 
bad. They're not that dusty and spiderwebby. My wife and I were watching it last night, and she definitely said, what the fuck is up with all these spiderwebs? You could build a spider tunnel with those. And I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, sure. Like, I didn't think about it when I was watching it, but now that you're bringing it up, I'm picturing my head. I'm like, god damn it, you're right. (laughs) When he opens the music box and it's just spiderwebs. Spiderwebs. (laughs) Yeah. That's the most campy moment, I think, of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, so I like that the movie at least addresses... You know, this house is dirty and dusty and, you know, there is a specific reason Mm -hmm. why it kind of has the creepy factor to it. Now, here's what's going to blow y'all's mind. That ain't a real house. What? Really? (laughs) Okay, so the outside is a facade. Anytime that you see the outside of the house, it's Mm -hmm. all a facade. Okay. And it butted up against an actual real house. Oh. But the entire outside is all fake. I thought so because I've seen, I just watched a video on someone talking about the real interiors, how the interiors look very much the same still. And when they showed the outside, I thought they used the wrong picture or something because it was like a stone, weird looking different exterior. Yes. So it Mm. was totally a facade that cost $200,000 to make. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) And all the interiors are sets. None of the interiors are real. It's all interlocking sets that they built on a soundstage. You just ruined everything for me. I don't know about you, Shelby. I wanted this to be a real house. I wanted this to be like session nine. We went to a real place. (laughs) Well, (laughs) sure. But now it takes it into the crazy realm of room 237 and all those crazy conspiracy theories about like the layout of this place doesn't make any sense. The Overlook Hotel is bullshit. There's hallways that go nowhere and doors that lead to nowhere and windows in places where they shouldn't be. And this movie kind of has a little bit of that where, like you said, Shelby, it's twisty and it's turny Mm -hmm. and there's weird blind spots and dead ends that are kind of off-putting in weird ways. But yeah, the entire thing was built on a set in Vancouver. I mean, that's impressive. Uh, which most of the movie was shot in Vancouver yeah. and Victoria, which is, yeah, that is highly yeah. impressive. That's still very impressive. Because you that would is. never fucking know. It. I believed that it. I believed okay. it was a real place. Yeah. Like I said, I saw that video where it was some Canadian who was very proud of this being a Canadian movie. And um, <laughs> she was talking about how, like, the studios don't exist anymore. They're condos now. And she showed, yeah. like, the real house i'm doing air quotes i forgot this is a podcast you guys can't see me the real house and i guess they just modeled it after the living area of a real house in canada but that makes sense that it was all sets everything apart from like the model of the living area you know because they would have had to need to get inspiration from somewhere to get that specific era of architecture yeah that's interesting it doesn't ruin it for me i've worked on enough movies that everything has been ruined for me so well yeah especially too since at the end spoiler alert they they fucking burn it down, right? Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So you wouldn't want to burn down a historical actual mansion like that. But uh, it's one of those things where like, it's so seamless and it's so well done, you would never know. And, you know, from a technical standpoint, that's another thing I do appreciate about this movie is everybody is doing their jobs to like the highest level, right? Like all the technical stuff in this movie is fantastic that, you know, you're not even really focusing on the mise-en-scene. You're not focusing on the sets. You're not focusing mm-hmm. on like any 
any of the trappings of it. It just feels like a real movie that you're watching, which to me amplifies the horror that much more. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's yeah. movie magic right there. Like when when people talk about movie magic, I would have believed you 100% if you said that that was a real house or at least two real houses, like one exterior, one interior. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it, it's just so well done. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, because the last thing I, at least I wanted to touch on was the bit with the other house, like near the water where the well was. Was that also just set? That smaller house that was built over the well? I'm not sure. I'm guessing was also just a set. Because, I mean, they destroy that one room, like the little girl's room. I would assume at least that one room, like you said, is a mm-hmm. set. Yeah, that looked so believable of like a, a middle class house. And that little girl's room looked so like legitimate. as like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this would be my childhood room when growing up. That's kind of why I was asking. Yeah, I definitely have a feeling that that was probably a set. Because they've got to be able to get a camera like down into That's that hole. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Right. They wouldn't do that in like a real house. There's no, no. way. So I, I I don't know about that specifically, but I have a feeling, yeah, that that wasn't a thing. On to that point, the thing I wanted to ask you guys was I felt like you could nitpick and argue that this might be a little bit of a shoehorn in. It didn't feel like a shoehorn to me. But when they bring in the whole idea of the well and this house being built over the well and they bring in this little small like side plot of this little girl seeing images of the ghost boy coming up through her floor. Mm-hmm. I think a lesser movie could have just shoehorned that in to explain some plot holes, but didn't feel like it was rushed. Even though it was brought in like in the second half of the movie, I didn't feel like it was unearned or anything campy or anything like that. I thought it added to the rest of the movie. These were the moments that felt like procedural mystery, like when he's going to like research the old school layouts of this land and now who lives there and this and that, him doing his own detective work, looking it up in the historical society documents and all that. And then you bring in the element of kids say creepy shit and are like creepy and haunted movies, (laughs) which is something like I am both kind of hoping, but also kind of hoping doesn't happen with my own daughter of like her waking me up in the middle (laughs) of the night being like, there's a ghost boy coming through the floor. I can't sleep. Uh, in my room and they never show you that like they never show you i appreciate that you never actually see ghosts in this i do too just that little girl actress whoever she was delivered the lines and like the mom delivered the lines her just describing what her daughter said dreaming of this ghost boy coming Mm -hmm. through the floor was creepy enough that you didn't even need to see it on camera like you could just picture it and create it in your mind and i really appreciated that it wasn't so neat and tidy and it was so inconvenient that it was in this house it wasn't like oh it's in the backyard and we found the diary and now we can solve it all in yeah. one place it's like yeah. shit it's like underneath the house oh okay like and the fact that the, the ghosts they have to do with each other and having yeah. a haunting here and a haunting here that are related I haven't even seen modern movies really do that yeah you know? like uh, the closest thing I can think of is I think there might have been like an episode of Supernatural maybe that like dealt with a ghost that could haunt two different places at once yeah. but like I I haven't watched that episode in years, so I don't remember. Mm. And I, I like how, again, it goes back to like what we said at, at the beginning of this discussion about like what we appreciate is like they don't waste any time of him still not accepting this as a ghost mm-hmm. because they do the same thing with the mom in this house. She at first is like, I wasn't going to say anything until you told me like what you saw and what you were about because my little girl is having these dreams. I'm not quite ready for you to like break open the floorboards of my do- daughter's room, yeah. but I'll keep that in mind. And then 
then that night, yeah. her daughter has the nightmare again, and she's like, okay, something fucking weird's here. Let's do it. Yeah. And they don't yeah. waste any more time. There was enough believability of like the mom being, because like that's a big deal to add. Like someone just shows up at your door, oh, like yeah. there's a ghost boy haunting a well under your floor. Yep. We need to dig up your well, like mm-hmm. dig yeah. up your floor. <laughs> like that's a big commitment. So like, mm-hmm. you know, kudos to her for being like, well, pump the brakes. But then when her daughter does it again, it's like, okay, she doesn't waste any more time. Like my daughter is going to become possessed now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Creepy shit. But I, I, I don't know. I, I felt like I could see the argument that that maybe was like a shoehorn plot element in, but I didn't feel that way. I don't think so either. I think it was a very original plot point element. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely like the ring kind of cribs that scene and all of that element pretty one for one as well too later. So that's it, true. That is true. You know, what would happen if we didn't have that scene in the movie, right? We might not have the ring. Which mm-hmm. I haven't seen Ringu in a very long time and I don't mm-hmm. remember the well being as big of a deal in Ringu, the Japanese original, as it mm-hmm. was in the American remake. Like the American remake, I felt like the well was so much more of mm-hmm. a plot point. But I could be mistaken. We haven't, we're going to do Ringu eventually on this and the ring. Yeah, I haven't seen Ringu in years, so I yeah. can't even remember. I haven't seen the ring in years. So. Yeah, I do like the American remake of the ring. I also liked Ringu when I saw it. I just saw it so long ago that I barely remember much of it. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I mean, there's another like naturally spooky thing is a well, especially a well that's underground and underneath your house. Yeah. And, and so kind of something else I wanted to touch on with that scene is the description of the girl being haunted in her dreams by this boy is very reminiscent of like scare you to sleep even again to like blow more smoke that's just element of like when you tell a story like that and you present it in a certain way you don't even need the imagery to like scare you with it and that's kind of like what goes on in this scene yeah I use that a lot with my first guided nightmare my first one it was just an experiment that I was really into guided meditations and it was like what if I just explain there's something in the corner of your room and I don't describe it at all I just feel like people would then put in their own version of what they don't want to see in the corner of their room and it seemed like it was pretty effective I had a lot of people who told me different things they pictured seeing in the corner of their room and it was so interesting because I was like I'm so glad I didn't describe anything because we all have our own worst nightmares you know it almost seems like you were kind of guiding people to create their own tulpas or like (laughs) I know I feel like seriously you know that you hear those stories about people creating ghosts ghosts yeah sorry there's like that what is it that scientific experiment where like they all created a ghost they created a ghost I that's basically one of my made their own tulpa. scientific experiments. Yeah. It's so interesting. The movie yeah. about it wasn't great, but um, <laughs> the actual experiment yeah. was very good. Well, I mean, it's kind of along the lines of the idea of Slenderman is great, but man, the movies and everything else about it. <laughs> not great but yeah I just uh, there's power in storytelling and I think this movie that's a whole nother element you could talk about with the changeling on top Mm -hmm. of everything else (laughs) I was looking at the poster for the changeling and I had to write down the quote this is one of the longer movie like quotes for a movie poster how did you die Joseph did you die in the house why do you remain that's the movie quote that is really long so specific and long it's not very snappy you know (laughs) it's a lot like the tagline to our show we need to shorten it up a little bit probably (laughs) cool cool the last thing i would say and this is just kind of you know we can end on this ponderance i guess i find it really interesting and especially tragic that joseph the boy that was murdered was bound to this wheelchair in life and then even in death his spirit is still bound to the house yeah so even in death the kid cannot break free yeah bound in a wheelchair and bound in the bathtub drowned yeah Yeah. that's a creepy fucking 
like, are you just reliving your drowning experience for eternity until like you get your mm-hmm. justice? Yeah, yeah, that's horrific. Yeah, so there you go. Go to sleep on that one and uh, <laughs> think about that as you're drifting off. And uh, think of little boys crawling out of your floor. Yeah, I yeah, know, exactly. right? Or like the water running in your tub. You look in and you see the image of a boy, yeah. and he's like moaning shit at you. Yeah, next time you take a nice hot <laughs> bath and you're running the water. Yeah, yeah just imagine somebody <laughs> has you by the ankles and is fucking drowning you. <laughs> Well, yeah, so like we didn't talk about that, but that way that he drowns a boy is real fucking brutal because he just holds his ankles yeah, up fucking and, gnarly. Oh, and like, God, oh yeah. my God, that is one of the crazier like murders we've seen on any of the movies mm-hmm. we've covered so far. It's so detached. Yes. It's not like grabbing somebody by the shoulders or the neck and pushing them down where there is that you're in that person's face kind of intimacy. And yes, like, you like s- the passion. Watching them die. Mm-hmm. This is just so impersonal. It is. It's not even hatred. It's like culling the herd. It's just doing what needs to be done. It's just so clinical and detached in a Mm -hmm. way that you can like separate yourself from. And that the level of like what you have to do and feel as a person to bring yourself to do that is Mm -hmm. just it's it's rough. It's rough to like even think about what drives a person to that place. I mean, we know what drives a person to that place in this movie is just greed, Mm -hmm. which is ultimately so fucking shitty that you're just that obsessed about having money and power and access you know to this family fortune that you're willing to murder your own child to make sure that that stays with you you want to talk about real life horrors how many tragedies throughout history familial or otherwise were caused by just simple greed oh sure yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean there are rumors that queen elizabeth the first was a quote-unquote changeling that she was actually she died at birth or not at birth but when she was young and that she was replaced with someone. Yeah. Huh. It's like a big ultra historical conspiracy theory. And then the idea of him having to go pick out another boy, like you're going to the mall and you're yeah. just picking out a sweater and going to the jeweler and picking out, hey, you know that medallion you sold me? Because this is 1906. You know, this isn't, something they just had a bunch of it's like hey can you make me another one of those medallions yeah yeah he he lost it you know how kids are and it's just like it's not just the drowning it's now i gotta go do all this other stuff too yeah and like oh the coldness you know yeah i need to steal that from you though shelby when you said Mm -hmm. historical conspiracy theory of the idea of changelings with people in power and like of wealth because like Mm -hmm. you're right that has happened a few times in history or at least that theory has been proposed by certain individuals Mm -hmm. through history so like and that's the whole like premise of this movie yeah because he's a u.s senator you yeah. know and it's wealth and power and yeah yeah just fyi for anyone at least at the time of this recording this movie is on shutter that's how i watched it yes. i don't know how you guys streamed it it's on youtube as well for oh free. okay it's cool. not supposed to be but it is there <laughs> <laughs> so funny you mentioned that we have been kind of encountering that a little bit more recently because yeah. that's how we watch dog soldiers and that's how i watched a documentary i had recommended a couple episodes back yeah yeah, I watched a lot of old horror movies on YouTube, but usually I'm talking like 1920s, 1930s old, but I yeah. was looking up that clip of Roger Ebert shitting all over the movie and it came up the full movie from some dudes like John 8347 or whatever. <laughs> so it's there. I don't know. Nice. And it's only 107 minute running time. So not over ha- yeah, an hour and a half, but not quite two hours. It's not yeah. terribly long. Pretty tight. Yeah. For physical media people, there is a excellent Blu-ray 
out by Severn right now. And for anybody overseas, there is a second site, really, really nice set that is, I believe, region free. I have the Severn disc. I did not dip for the second site one because I didn't want to pay to import it, but uh, that is also available and I believe they're the same master anyway so you've got two different options when it comes to purchasing this movie physically but yeah like I said it is on Shutter, and it's been on Shutter for I think probably two or three years now since that last remaster came out so this is a fairly easy one to get a hold of two quick questions for you and this might be more for you Aaron one did they have any like alternate endings or like extended cuts or anything like that oh, of this yeah, movie that's a good question not that I saw I, I haven't heard of anything same. I haven't seen anything Thing. There wasn't anything on the disc, so nothing that I'm aware of. Second thing, I didn't realize Peter Medak, I thought he was just the second director. He's the third director that was hired on this project. Yeah. So oh. Donald Camel and Tony Richardson both withdrew. I didn't realize, okay. Yeah. I know you'd mentioned someone withdrawing due to creative differences and he was- They both did. Yeah. So like, do you know why specifically, just out of curiosity? Nope. I have no idea. That seems like it was a, a mistake on their parts, maybe a little bit. But I did read somewhere that Medak was hired with only a month for script rewrites in the set construction. Yeah. That's Yay. fucking insane. They were able to put this together <gasps> with like that. Yeah, which just goes to prove what a solid, experienced journeyman director he was, that he could just jump right in and knock that shit out. Yeah, like, like I said earlier, Donald Kamel seemingly ditched because he wanted to do the whole thing in black and white and the producer's just wouldn't hear it. No idea about Tony Richardson, though, but I did read it was creative differences in air quotes, so whatever that means. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, that is, I think, all we've got to say about The Changeling. Shelby, great to have you on. This yeah, was very enjoyable. thank you for enjoyable. having me. Thank great you so conversation. Much. Where can everybody find you and your work? Uh, the show is on all social medias, just at Scare You to Sleep. And you can find Scare You to Sleep now on pretty much all the major platforms. So, yay, find it there. Yep. I recommend starting with the episode called God Will Provide. Um, it was from about a year ago. I think that's my best episode. So start with that one if you want a good idea of what the whole show is about and all that good stuff. That is a rad fucking title, and I'm going to look that up right now because I don't think I've listened to that one. I wrote it, so this is definitely me um, tooting my own horn. That's fine. That's what we're here for. <laughs> it's my best performing episode ever, so um, the numbers don't lie. <laughs> hey, that's cool. I, I still brag to people about our Halloween 3 episode and our Black Christmas episode because um, <laughs> in my mind, those are like my two favorites that we've done. Awesome. Well, yeah, it was great having you on. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Definitely. We'll try to get you back on again in the future so yeah for sure check out all of shelby's stuff and uh give her a listen yeah maybe we'll get you back on next time for a found footage movie because i know that was another one you suggested it's my favorite genre is it okay my favorite genre yes and i know that's so controversial so many people think it's trash but it's my favorite genre i can't help it no no we will we'll let you have the floor to explain why it's your favorite so <laughs> yeah you explain yourself you're coming back to explain yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a few found footage on the list for sure. So we will definitely Yay. get with you offline and we'll figure out what to do next. Yeah. 
Cool, cool. Well, yeah, this has been another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, your movie monster boy, Aaron, and my cowardly co-host, Derek. You can find us on all the social media platforms at Watch If You Dare, all the podcatchers as well. At this point, we are pretty much on everything. As usual, big thanks to my little brother, Jesse Mansfield, a.k.a. Party Gator, for providing the music bumps at the beginning and the ends of all of our episodes. Uh, You can find him on Bandcamp at Party Gator, Opossums, Big Clown, dot, 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 all the other groups that he is associated with. Beyond that, Derek, do we have any final thoughts? That house is not fit to live in. (laughs) No Sally's been able to live in it. It doesn't want any Sally's.